Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family of God. I was feeling blessed and encouraged this morning by our worship team. You know, we just merged a few weeks ago, so they haven't had a whole lot of time. All these volunteers have been working hard to prepare to lead us, not only in one language, but in two languages. Haven't you been blessed by them? Let's, let's clap to express our thanksgiving to God and to them for serving us. Appreciate you. Good job, team. This morning, I would like to ask you to pause for a moment just to ponder this amazing reality that the God of the universe, the holy, eternal, almighty God who created the stars and the galaxies and each one of us by his word of power, that God chooses to speak to us. Isn't that an amazing thought? We worship a communicating God. That's the reason why, as a church, we're always reading the Bible. We're always studying the Bible. We're memorizing the Bible. We're teaching the Bible to our children. We're trying to obey the Bible because this is not just a book. It is God speaking to us. It's God revealing himself to us. So as we take a moment now to, for a few minutes, reflect on a few verses of Holy Scripture. And then talk about how these Scripture can shape our lives as individuals and as a church community. I just want us to have a renewed sense of awe. Sometimes when you do something this special every week, you can forget how special it is. What's happening right now... It's not just that I'm standing up here with a microphone. It's that we as a community are giving our full attention to words that were breathed by God so that the God who spoke the universe into existence can say to you as an individual, to you, Isaac and Clarissa and Santos and Alec and all around the room, this is what I want you to hear today. It's an amazing thought. So let's just bow our heads for a second. I know we already prayed, but I want to do it one more time. Just want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to hear his word and to renew your sense of awe and amazement at the fact that God speaks to us this morning.
Our Father, we praise you for being a God who speaks. You didn't have to speak to us, but you love us enough to take up human language and to consecrate it for the holy purpose of making us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you love each of us individually enough to speak personal words to our heart through the scripture. We ask for your blessing and your help. Everybody in this sanctuary, everybody who's watching the service online through live stream, everybody, all the children that are in children's church, as well as their teachers, those who are in the chapel now hearing a sermon in Spanish, we pray for all of us. Help us, help us, Lord, to be a people who hear and believe and are transformed by the power of your holy word. And make us a church that never loses sight of how precious and amazing and sacred a gift it is that we can read the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the text of scripture that we heard read a moment ago is from 2 Timothy, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. This is the last writing we have from Paul. Paul knows he's about to die. Last words... In 2 Timothy, Paul says a lot of important things, but specifically the few sentences we're looking at here, Paul is saying to Timothy, I'm about to be gone, but you have God with you and you have God's word with you. So, Timothy, read the Bible. That's what he's saying. Timothy, study the Bible. Timothy, trust the Bible. Timothy, obey the scriptures. Timothy, let your life be shaped every day by the scriptures because the scriptures have the power of God. The scriptures are God speaking to you. This is so important to Paul and it should be very important to us. And then Paul goes on to explain why it's so important. Let's look at some of the details of the text. First, notice in verses 14 through 15, Paul is asking Timothy to remember the people who taught him to trust and understand and love the Bible. We'll talk about why that's so important in a moment. But let's just read those verses again. Verse 14 through 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Now, that word is continue is important. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but you might circle it in your text. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Now, here's a key phrase. Knowing from whom you learned it. Paul says, I want you to think about the people that taught you the Bible. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. When Paul is teaching Timothy to treasure the Bible, he says, think about the people who taught you the Bible. Now, to help us understand why this is so important, we've got to ask the question, so who did teach the Bible to Timothy? And the letter answers that question for us. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to chapter 1. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 says this. Paul writing to Timothy says, I am Reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Paul is saying, you have a spiritual legacy. Your mama knew God, and she taught you the Bible. And your grandma knew God, and she taught you the Bible. You have seen their life. You know that the Bible was not just a theoretical book because you saw it. And he names these two women. We we can know them as Lois and Eunice, but Timothy knew them as mama and grandma, right? And he says, you have seen the Bible change their lives. 
You have seen these women become holy women of faith. You know that it's real. You know that you've received a spiritual legacy. Let me ask for this question of you, congregation. I need a show of hands. Anybody have a mama or a grandma who taught you to love the Bible and lived it out? Man, thank God. Several people in this room had that blessing. If you didn't raise your hand, I've got a word of encouragement for you in a second. But if you did, thank God for these women. I've... I've got that blessing. I'm going to tell you about some of the people that helped me learn the word of God and love the word of God. But this is such a beautiful thing and such a common thing. I remember um, years ago um, being taught. I was actually at a conference and getting taught about uh, the particular theological contributions of the Hispanic Latino church in America. And I got introduced, introduced to the term I had never heard before called abuela theology, which is basically... You learn about who God is from your grandma. That's what it's about. And everybody who just raised our hand, we have abuela theology, right? Grandma taught us about the goodness of God. But that's not all. Because from childhood, uh, Timothy had learned at the feet of his mother and his grandma who God was from the scriptures. But Timothy had also learned it from Paul. And just a few sentences before the sentences that were our text today, Paul said this. If you got your Bible, go back to chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. Paul says, you, however, have followed my teaching. You have followed my teaching, Timothy. You've heard me teach the Bible. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you followed my conduct. I didn't just talk to you about the Bible. I lived a life that showed you the power of the Bible when it's believed and obeyed. You followed my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love. My steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. This is old man Paul having real talk with his protege, Timothy, saying, you've walked with me for years. Okay, you've seen me suffer with joy because I believe this book is true. You've also seen God do miracles through me. You've seen me heal sick people in the name of Jesus. You've seen me raise people from the dead in the name of Jesus. You've seen me go all over the world risking my life because I believe that this book is true. So, Timothy, don't forget who taught you the Bible is what he's saying. Now, why does Paul say this right here? He says it because... It helps us to value this book when we remember we're not the first people that have read it. And that this book isn't just true, it's real. And it's been changing people's lives and setting people free for thousands of years. When I start to feel tempted to doubt something that the scripture says, sometimes I think, what kind of an arrogant little punk are you to doubt this book? That all the saints and the martyrs and the missionaries gave their life because they believed every word was true. Who are we to doubt this word of God, which has been changing lives and reshaping civilizations from the inside out for centuries? Paul is saying you've received a legacy of faith. Now, here's the thing. Some of us heard people talk about the Bible who didn't live it out. Right. And that can make it harder for us to believe the Bible is true. So it's good to just pause right now. Paul's going to say some other stuff in a minute, which makes it clear that the credibility of the Bible is not dependent upon the credibility of the people you know who talk about the Bible. 
In fact, Jesus warned us about false teachers in his own time. He says there's a lot of people who talk the right talk, but they don't walk the right walk, right? So the Bible told us there's going to be hypocrites who talk about the Bible, don't, but don't follow Jesus. And all the atrocities committed in the name of Jesus were committed by people who preached the Bible, but they preached the Bible in a way that denied the reality of Christ and the Bible. So uh, the good news here, though, is this. If you didn't get to raise your hand a second ago, you haven't had that legacy of a mother or a father, or a grandmother, or a grandfather who walked with God. One of the truths of the gospel is this. If you trust in Jesus, now you're adopted into a new spiritual family, which means not only is God your father, but you've got a family that goes back thousands of years. Abraham is your father, too. You sung a song about it when you were a kid, maybe. Remember that one, Father Abraham had many sons? Okay. David and Rahab, the prostitute who trusted in the Lord and was redeemed. You've got a legacy of faith that includes Paul the Apostle. It includes so many people throughout the ages, all those saints and missionaries and martyrs who walk with God. That's your spiritual family. And though many people have read the Bible but not lived faithfully to the Bible, by God's grace, there have been millions of people through millennia now who have walked with God and showed us this book is real if you'll take it seriously. Now, I told you a second ago that that word continue is important. Let me tell you why. Look again at verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue. But as for you, Timothy, continue. He's contrasting what he wants Timothy to do with some people he just described in the verses before. He describes some wicked people who are going from bad to worse. They are deceiving and being deceived, he says. And throughout this letter, Paul's talking about people who at one point in time trusted in Christ and believed the scripture and then walked away. Apparently there was nuns in the first century, right? There was people who walked away from the faith. That's not a new problem that we have in our generation. And Paul ironically keeps talking about these people. They started with Jesus, but then they moved forward. They progressed. They moved on. Okay? They moved on. That was kid stuff for them, or that was an earlier stage in their life. But Paul keeps making it clear They may be progressive, but they're progressing from life into death. They're progressing from truth into fantasy. Their heart such that just a few years later, nobody ever taught me how to have a devotional or a quiet time. But I just started doing what I saw her do, picking up the Bible and reading it. And God started changing my heart. I think about my dad who came to know the Lord as a young adult. But after he came to know the Lord, he immediately began valuing the scriptures and he read the Bible and he read it and he read it and it started to sh- shape in significant ways how he lived. He would be reading the Bible and then he would tell me little things. He, I remember him taking me aside one time and saying, um, John Mark, you need to understand this. Money is just a tool that God has given you to bless people. He got that from the Bible, from Jesus. And I watched him live that out. He didn't just talk about it. But even when we were struggling financially, he was always giving to the ministry of the church and giving to help the poor and giving to support people, support the work of mission. It was real in his life. And then I think about as I grew older and people like Tilly Bergen, who would just read the Bible and pray. And especially she loved the stories of Jesus and she would read those stories of Jesus. She started a a ministry called Mission Arlington in Texas that by the grace of God started spreading until there was basically a a church planning movement that started churches in apartment complexes, which reached about 4,000 people. And I got to come follow Tilly Bergen's leadership in that ministry for a while. But the amazing thing about this woman of faith, she was probably about 50 years older than me, but she would just get up and read the Bible early in the morning and start praying at like four o'clock in the morning. I don't know when she slept, but she would start praying and reading the scripture. And then all day she would live like it's true. And this one little woman's 
life was so filled with grace that it radiated out and touched thousands of people so that the poor in Arlington were cared for and many people heard the gospel and many leaders were raised up to send to the nations just because she took the Bible seriously. I've got so many more names. I don't even have time to tell you about all the people that I've seen this truth in their lives. If you don't know these people, I just want to say, come hang out with me. Buy me a cup of coffee. Maybe I'll even buy you a cup of coffee and ask me to tell you stories. I will tell you stories all day long. Friends, we have a great heritage of saints. And what the history of the church proves us is that if we play with the Bible and pretend that we're following God's word, but don't take it seriously, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. But if we take this book seriously, the living God of the scripture will prove to be the living God of our lives. So Paul says, remember from whom you learned it. But then he moves on and tells Timothy, remember the main point of the Bible. Remember what it's all about. Look again at the second half of verse 15. He says, the sacred writings, underline those two words, we we'll come back to them too. The sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Man, there's so much in that little phrase. Let's talk about that little phrase for a second. First, let's talk about the word wise. Everybody say wise. The Bible talks a lot about wisdom. Wise people know God. Wise people are friends of God. Wise people know themselves. Wise people know how to live skillfully in the world, how to relate to others with compassion and justice and kindness. Wise people are flourishing people. Wise people are people whose lives give blessing to other human beings. Okay? Paul says the sacred writings, the scriptures, the Bible are able to make you wise. But he doesn't stop there. He says they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now let's think about those words, Christ Jesus. Last week, we were saying, as a church family, everything we ever do always is all about Jesus. So everybody say, it's all about Jesus. And this week, our text is saying, the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. Doesn't just mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all about Jesus. Genesis is all about Jesus. Exodus is all about Jesus. Leviticus is all about Jesus. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all the way to Revelation. It's all about Jesus. Jesus himself and his ministry frequently said things like, the scriptures testify about me. He says the whole Bible was pointing forward to him. Because he is the son of God. He's the savior of the world. His death and resurrection are our hope. All of the scripture was pointing forward to the day when the God who created the world would rescue his people from their sin. And he did it through Jesus Christ and through his death and resurrection. Which leads us to these other two words, faith and salvation. Now let's talk for a second about salvation. Everybody say salvation. Salvation is a big word in the Bible. Sometimes when we talk about being saved, we just mean something Really important, but too small for what the Bible means. When the Bible talks about God saving us, you can talk about it at the cosmic level. He's going to reconcile all things in heaven and in earth. That's God's salvation. But you can also talk about it at the individual level. And let me just list some of the things it means when it says God will save you through Jesus Christ. It, it means this. God will forgive all of your sins. That's enough to clap about, isn't it? Sometimes we think, though, that's all that it means, but that's not all that it means. God will forgive all of your sins and he will adopt you into his family. So now the father of Jesus Christ is your father. You've got a new identity. I'm a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God, the father. And if God's my father and God's your father, that makes us family right here. 
So you have a place to belong, even if your biological family is dysfunctional and has disowned you and has treated you bad. You have a spiritual family in Christ, which is eternal. Okay? Salvation means you've been adopted. It also means you've received the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of you, the Spirit of the living God. And the Spirit of the living God is at work in you to transform you day by day to be more and more like Jesus, which also means to be the truer and truer version of yourself. So that as Brooke becomes more like Jesus, she also becomes brookier, right? And as Nate Goggin in the back, keeping it cool, probably doesn't want me to talk about him. As he becomes more and more like Jesus, he becomes more himself, the true version of himself. All of us are being transformed by grace day by day. Salvation means the power of sin to dominate your life is broken if you'll just trust in Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Salvation means also you have received gifts from the Holy Spirit, not only to avoid doing bad things in your life, but to become a change agent in the world. God wants to work through you to do good works, to bless other people, to help other people know God, to bring peace and justice into the world. And he does it by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. That's God's saving grace. And salvation points us all the way to the new creation in which we'll rise with Christ and live in a world with no more sickness or pain. We'll be with Jesus. We'll see him face to face. We'll enjoy him forever in a perfected creation. God's salvation is awesome and it's big. And Paul says the whole Bible is here to show you, to make you a wise person so that you can experience God's salvation through Jesus Christ by faith. Everybody say faith. Listen, all that stuff I just listed called salvation is not anything you have to earn. You can't earn it. It's a gift of God. All you got to do is trust Jesus Christ. Surrender to Jesus. Jesus say, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. If you're here today and you're thinking all this sounds great, but you don't know the sinful life that I've been living. Let me just tell you, everybody in here has sinned a lot and deserves God's judgment. This is not a room full of perfect people. It's a room full of messed up people who have hope because of Jesus Christ and his gift of grace. And all that it takes to be reconciled to God and to receive his gift of salvation is to turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, remember who taught you the Bible and remember the main point of the Bible, Timothy. It was given to you by God to make you a wise person so you can experience all God's gift of salvation. You get them through Jesus and you get them by faith. Next. Paul reminds Timothy of the source of the Bible. The source of the Bible. Look again at verse 16. These first few words are important. All scripture is breathed out by God. What a phrase. All scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, what does that word scripture mean? Let's talk about that for just a second. When Paul uses this word scripture, which just means something like writings, he's using it in a special way. If you go search for every time Paul uses this word, he uses it to talk not just about any kind of writing, but about the same group of writings. He was talking about verse 15 when he says the sacred writings. Okay, the word sacred means holy. God is holy. That means God is unique and set apart. All thought because already. At this time, in the very early stages of the Christian community, the Christians were beginning to talk about not only the words of Jesus, but the words of his apostles as if their teaching and their writings have equal authority 
with the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. Okay, so I could give you various examples of this. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, you don't have to flip to it, I'm, I'm going to go quick. You might just jot these down if you want to look them up later. But in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, and then he quotes a saying of Jesus, which is recorded in Luke's gospel, and both of those quotes, he said, are scripture. Okay, they're sacred writing. Or we could go to 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 through 16, in which Peter, the apostle, is talking about Paul's letters. This, uh, these verses always make me laugh because Peter was a fisherman and Paul was a sophisticated, educated guy. And Peter says, listen, Paul's letters are hard to understand. Have you ever felt that way? As a preacher who spends my life trying to understand the Bible, I love it when the Bible says, man, Paul's letters are hard to understand. Uh, but then Peter goes on to say, and certain ignorant people twist them just like they do all the other scriptures. Did you see that? He said the writings of Paul are scripture, just like the writings of Isaiah and Moses and David are scripture. So this way of thinking was rooted in the teaching of Jesus. As Jesus was walking around Galilee, he would constantly quote the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament. And when he quotes it, he would say, this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit says he said The Old Testament scriptures is the words of God. But then Jesus would talk and he makes it clear that when he talked, he thought his words had the same weight and authority as the Old Testament scriptures. No, no other teachers in Jesus time taught like that. That's why in the Gospels, the crowds keep saying this guy has authority, not like our scribes, because when Jesus spoke, his words had power and weight, which were equal to the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. And then in various places like John 13, 20. Jesus says, whoever receives the apostles that I send receives me. And if they reject the apostles that I send, they're rejecting me. Which means if we take seriously everything we talked about two weeks ago, when we talked about the incredible amount of historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, here's what we have to reckon with. The guy who performed miracles, claimed to be the son of God, said he was going to die and rise again, then died on the cross and rose again, also said... The Hebrew scriptures we call the Old Testament are God's word. My words are God's words and the apostles come with my authority. Okay, so when we're talking about scriptures, we're talking about everything that's in your Bible. The prophets and sages of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament. Everybody say the Bible is God's word. If I lost you anywhere in this, let me just tell it to you simply. Silas, my two year old son, explained it yesterday. He was the first up. We put him to bed early on Friday night and we paid for it on Saturday morning. So the whole rest of the house was asleep, and Silas, on sleeping day, comes in early, and he comes in looking so cute, dragging his little blanket, crawls up into bed, and after he has his cup of milk, he gets up and goes and gets his little Bible, Peter, Luke, John, etc. But they wrote them in a way that Paul doesn't break it all down. He doesn't describe what it was like. It's a mysterious process. But he wrote it in such a way that the Holy Spirit of God was breathing through them so that you could say at the same time, these are Paul's words and these are God's words. These are David's words and these are God's words. These are Abraham's words and these are God's words. So that the ultimate authority of the scripture does not rest in the human author, right? David was a smart guy and a good guy, but David did some terrible things. But the reason we love the Psalms of David is because they were breathed out by God. That's where the authority comes from now that means everything listen friends god doesn't lie god is never wrong god knows everything and he especially knows the most of ever wrong god knows everything 
And he especially knows the most important things that we could never figure out on our own. Our big questions about life, about what is the meaning of life, about our destiny, we could not know it. As finite agents. And there's so many things that we can't know unless we hear it from somebody else. Listen, guess what? There's some things I can know because I see them directly. But there's a lot of things I can never know unless I believe a witness who's gone before me. Let me give an example. Everything that happened before 1985. Okay? If I know anything about history, it's not before that time. It's not because I saw it. It's because somebody else saw it and they told me about it. And I chose to believe it. Right? In my life... I went to science class for many years and during that time did maybe 50 scientific experiments. But I know all sorts of other stuff about science because somebody else did an experiment and I took their word for it, right? So there's some things we can directly observe. But if we only believe the things that we can directly observe, we don't know anything outside of the time and place where we live. Which is why all of us all the time are listening to credible witnesses. That's called belief It's called faith, and it's a very reasonable thing to do. But what we're saying right now is the most important things about human existence, nobody could directly witness other than God. Which means either God speaks or we're totally in the dark about the meaning of our existence. The good news is that God speaks. All of Scripture is breathed out by God. Finally, before we wrap up, Paul says this book, the Bible, is uniquely useful. It's helpful. It's a practical book. If you want to learn how to live well, here's your book. Let's finish verse 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now that word profitable just means useful. It means helpful. Paul's saying, if you get serious about not only studying the Bible, but studying it like your life depends upon it, and believing it, and putting into practice whatever it says, then you will live a healthy, wise, and good life that blesses other people. It's that simple. And moral diseases, and then cure them. Let me take a show of hands. Who likes to be told you're wrong? Nobody, huh? Diagnoses are not always fun, and medicine is not always fun. Anybody liked having that COVID thing shoved up your nose into your brain? My goodness. That's not fun. We don't like to be told we're wrong. Diagnoses are often not fun. And then medicine, I mean, some medicine isn't that bad. I used to like the purple Dynatap as a kid. You know, I liked it when I got a cough because I get to have the purple medicine. But a lot of it is not so good. It has side effects. It makes you really sick. You know, surgery, radiation. This could get really serious. We don't like to be told we're wrong, but if I've got something really wrong with me and I want to live and I want to be healthy, then I'm willing to go to a doctor and let them do whatever diagnostic stuff they need to do and then let them do whatever treatments they need to do invasively because I love life, right? And what Paul is saying is this, we've all got spiritual diseases, And the Bible is here to diagnose and to cure. That's what these words correction and reproof mean. Which means when I open up my Bible and read it, God works to show me my pride and then to help me start cultivating humility. God shows me my selfishness and then to help me start becoming loving. It diagnoses and heals. And then finally, Paul says it's useful for training in righteousness 
that the man of God, by the way, this word anthropos in Greek, it can be used gender inclusively. So the man or woman of God um, may be complete. Circle that word complete. It could also mean mature. Do you want to be a mature spiritual adult who's filled with wisdom and power in life? Or do you want to be a little infant Christian wandering around getting yourself into trouble all the time? That's what this is about. It says, the scriptures train us for righteousness that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's a bold claim. I want you to think about this word training. Training. It's the Greek word paideia. It's usually used to talk about the sort of nurture and instruction we give of children to help them learn to become mature, fully functioning human beings. But just think about the concept of training. Think about musicians and athletes. Okay? I would love to be free to play the violin. But if I'm going to be free to play the violin, there's a lot of steps that need to happen between where I am right now and that freedom. I need to get somebody who knows how to play the violin to teach me. I need to get a violin. That's another more step. I need to get somebody to teach me proper fingering. Then I got to get somebody to teach me how to hold the bow and how to hold my shoulder in the right way. And I've got to practice. I'm probably going to need to develop some calluses on my fingers, right? And over time, I'm going to play scales and little boring things. And my whole family would have to suffer through it, right, as I'm trying to learn how to play. But eventually, you get to a point where I could, I've got the muscle memory where I could do it. And now I'm starting to learn music theory and Over the course of training and practice, it takes a long time. Sometimes it's difficult, but at the end of it, I'm free to make something beautiful that I couldn't have made before. Or if you want to learn how to play basketball, you need a coach, you need a ball, you need somebody to teach you how to dribble and pass and shoot and triple threat position and teach you how to do offense and defense and how to run a screen and roll. There's all sorts of stuff. And then you don't just need the information. You've got to practice it over and over and over and over and over and over. And then you've got to lift some weights and train and do all this kind of stuff. But at the end of that, you could be free to do something amazing that you wanted to do that you couldn't have done before. So the idea here is the Bible gives us the information and it coaches us and it gives us things to practice that then if we put them in practice, that's going to be a process It's sometimes going to be difficult. It's going to take a lot of work and perseverance. But at the end of it, we are free. And what is the freedom it's talking about? It uses these phrases, righteousness and every good work. Put this together. It says, if you let the Bible train you, you will know God and you will be a person such that your life overflows with blessing so that Other people begin to thrive spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally because of the love and the power of Christ flowing through you in a unique way. Now, that's a lot of reasons to read the Bible. Amen. Before I sit down, I want to remind you what's happening today. This is week two of a sermon series in which we're talking about as a church community. What do we value? What do we love? What are the values that are going to shape our culture as a church? Last week, we talked about Jesus is our first love. Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. Next week, Jared's going to be up here preaching to us about prayer. We want to be a praying people, a house of prayer for all nations. By the way, if you haven't got to spend time around Jared preaching, I love hearing Jared preach because Jared has a big heart for God and he loves the Bible. So it's going to be fun next week. But. 
This week, what we're talking about is the Bible, the scripture, and we're saying, why do we as a church always spend so much time studying the Bible? Why does John Mark stand there for so long explaining the Bible to me, right? Why, why do we do this so much? The answers are given to us in this text. Why? Because the Bible is God, the God of the universe, breathing out words to speak to you here today in a living and active way to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus and to transform you, to diagnose all of your spiritual and moral sicknesses, to heal you and to empower you and equip you to live a flourishing life that blesses other people. That's a lot of good reasons to study the Bible. So practically what that looks like is every time we go to a small group, Sunday school or community group, we're going to open up our Bibles and read it and talk about what it means and how we can apply it. We're going to go out into apartment complexes and neighborhoods and schools and everywhere we can, we're going to serve people. Then we're going to open up the Bible and read and let God's word do God's work. And then when we go home by ourselves or with our families and children, we're going to open up the book and let God's word do God's work. And then when we have prayer meetings, before we pray, we're going to meditate on the scripture, listen to God before we speak to him. and We're going to let God's word do God's work. When we have business meetings and there's big decisions and we're trying to figure out what we should do before we start thinking about our preferences, we start thinking about God's preferences, which means we open up the book and we let God's word do God's work. Everybody say, let the word do the work. We're just going to open up the book every time every day because every time we open the book Karl Barth said it's like letting a tiger out of its cage the living God moves with power now I want to end today by reading you one little quote before I sit down this week as I was studying this passage of scripture I uh, read what a whole lot of Christians ancient and modern have said about this text of scripture but my favorite little lines that I read were from A a Syrian Christian, Aramaic-speaking Christian who lived about 1,700 years ago named Aphrahat, Aphrahat the Syrian. And he said this, For if the days of a man should be as many as all the days of the world, from Adam to the end of the ages, that would be a long life, right? He said, if your life was that long, and, and this man, he should sit and meditate upon the Holy Scriptures, that whole time, for all those thousands of years, Aphrodite said he would not comprehend all the force of the depth of the words. If you had a thousand lifetimes to study this book, there would still be more power and wisdom than you tapped into. That sentence stirred my heart. Because in my few little decades, I found it to be true. I can read a text I've read a thousand times and it comes alive again. Because it's the, the words of the living God to me today. So let's bow our heads and I just want to pray. Lord, make us a people of this book. Lord, I pray that, I pray it now. Holy Spirit, that these truths about your word would go deep into our hearts. Make us a people who have biblical convictions. Lord, if there's anybody here who is wrestling in their minds with the question of the authority of your word in a skeptical age, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work that no argument from me could do to give us confident assurance that this book was breathed by God. So that we'd be willing to read it, to study it, to open it, and to let it shape every single day of our lives, Lord. Because we have seen throughout the ages its power. Let us be a people of the book. And every time we come together, we ask that your word would do the work. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.